BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USC is 5 and 7 and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio. This is a car cast after USC's 52-35 win over the UCLA Bruins at the Coliseum. The Trojans are about to repaint the victory bell. They finished the regular season with an 8-4 record, which both my co-host and I predicted. And here we are. Let's talk about it. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, live in the Reign of Troy radio studio in Los Angeles, Alicia Dardol. Hello, everybody. Hello. We are back in the studio to record this car cast. Uh, we talked about doing a car cast with our pal, Jake Merrifield. And he, at some point in the fourth quarter, he was like, this is going south. I'm not feeling good about this. You guys are just going to have to do it without me. That He didn't want to be part of a car cast. Following a game in which UCLA lost. Yeah, it's totally not that he's dealing with, you know, the the trials and tribulations of being a parent and having to, you know, parent people. You're Uh, supposed to... No, that's what I'm saying. That's not what happened. That is not what happened. Uh, Jake is flaking out because he doesn't want to face the reality of of what is going on, of of, of what happened to UCLA tonight. That's exactly... He invited us into his home last year. Um, because UCLA won and he had UCLA paraphernalia up all over the place and he was more than more than happy to host us last year. Um, is it a coincidence that this year USC smokes UCLA it, in a sense and uh, all of a sudden, oh, you know, we're not I'm not going to be back in time, you know, like just shucks. I, I see. I, I see no coincidence. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Just couldn't handle it. Couldn't handle it. Alicia Keaton Slovis threw for five hundred and fifteen yards. Yeah, and he could have thrown for more. Yeah. Uh, given that you know, as good as USC's receivers were in this game, Michael Pittman uh, had a had a blatant drop. There that were he sh- there were a, a handful Alder of drops. St. Brown had a couple of drops. There were opportunities to get more yards. And yet, Keaton Slovis sets an all-time USC record for yards in a game, 515. 
Uh, needed almost all of them because this ended up as a shootout. USC wins 52-35. First time they, they hit the 50-point mark since the Rose Bowl against Penn State. Uh, so that's three seasons now uh, in which they had not hit the 50 mark. They finally get there. And, you know, we were talking in the car on on the way here to the studio. Sorry, Sorry Keely. Keely. That this was one of those games. I never felt like this game was in doubt for USC. Because it was Big 12 bad in the best possible way for the Trojans. In the sense, SC's defense was getting gashed by DTR in the second half. But it never, ever felt like UCLA was going to stop USC's offense. At least not nearly as many times as SC actually got stops on defense. To the point where even though SC was up... Like, if you're going to trade touchdowns, like have a 17-point buffer to do it. Yeah. And that was ultimately enough to, to win the game in the end. Yeah. And, and there was a point early in the game where I thought, ooh, boy, here we go. I mean, the, the, the first 10 minutes were off. Yeah. USC had to punt the ball back to, to UCLA and UCLA was gashing USC and it felt like, oof, yeah. UCLA could take take a pretty commanding lead here. And once USC got through that, I, I'm with you. I didn't really feel like the game was in danger at any point once USC's offense really started getting going. The, there was only one moment later in the game after that point, which was when UCLA caught up. It was like 28 to 38 or whatever. And that was when USC scored 38. It was like, OK, they're, you know, putting this one away. And then UCLA responded and it felt like, OK, so if USC's offense comes out and does the kind of thing that we've seen them do before, which is have a catastrophic mistake, um, like a, a pick six or a fumble uh, scoop and score, anything like that, or, or a turnover of any of any sort at 38, 20, uh, 28 or whatever it was, then I felt like, ooh, uh, it's a little vulnerable here. But USC responded once UCLA started putting points on the board with points of their own. And it was very, very clear that UCLA had no answers for USC's uh, passing attack. And and that is the, the great thing about this game was that I think we finally saw the fulfillment of what this air raid was supposed to look like. And the thing that I'm having a hard time processing is, was this the, it's game 12 and USC's finally come together. They've had the freshman quarterback settled in. Um, the receivers are all, the chemistry is all good there. They know exactly what they're doing and this is what they look like when they're rolling. Or is it just that UCLA's defense sucks? And to be honest, I, I think, you know, I think I asked you that question in the car and you responded. Sorry, oh, sorry Keely. Keely. Uh, you responded, yes. And it was like, yeah, yeah. Because we talked in the in the preview episode about how UCLA's passing defense was one of the worst in the country. They had been giving up a 166 passer rating on average. And that is horrific for a defense like Keaton Slovis. His passer rating for the season was like 162 going into this game, and that was really good. Like that's a very like that's like 12th nationally. So that's a very good average for Keaton Slovis to be averaging. And UCLA was giving opponents better than that on a per game basis. That's outrageously bad. And the comforting thing is, for a long time, what have we been talking about? USC has faced a lot of bad defenses and hasn't made them pay for it pay for being bad. So on the one hand, like I think I come away feeling quite pleased that finally we saw USC put someone to the sword that they should have put to the sword. Well, I think the two main objectives in this game were, yeah, 
take advantage of how bad UCLA secondary is. They threw for 515 yards. They had four receivers. At least four receivers. Four. Had 100 yards. See, now this First is... First time in school history that's ever happened. Well, and I was going to add, do we know if that... If it's that's, happened before in college football. It's do, not. It's not that. Okay. It's not that it's never happened. But it's, it's the first time it's ever happened for USC. For USC, yeah. Yeah. So big moment for for SC to be able to put that stuff together. I mean, you go back and talk about the the 2005 offense and oh, a 3,000 yard passer and they almost had two 1,000 yard receivers and two 1,000 yard running backs. Uh, I think Steve Smith was just short. Was it Steve Smith that was just short of the 1,000 yards? I think in that season. Either way, they, they nearly pulled it off. They didn't. but or, uh, Oklahoma did it last year, by the mm-hmm. way. But they, they nearly pulled that off. And like that, the thought of that is insane. This might be more impressive in a single game to have four different receivers over 100 yards, especially when you, you figure there's only 515 yards, yeah. right? If there was 800 passing yards, it'd be, I feel like it'd be easier to do that. But Pittman, 104. You had Vaughn's 106. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, 128. Drake London, uh, with that one, 142. He led the way that way. But so that was one objective was take advantage of how bad UCLA secondary is. The second one, which we talked about, if you had the game plan for somebody, are you going to game plan for Joshua Kelly or are you going to make DTR beat you? SC does the thing that Clancy Pendergast does. He, he focuses on one thing that the other team does well. He tries to take that away. He did that in this game. Took away Joshua Kelly. Joshua Kelly had 15 carries for 45 yards. And if you would have said that in the beginning of the game and said, SC is going to hold Joshua Kelly to three yards per carry, you'd be like, yes, 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 yes. You'd take that in a heartbeat. They also allowed DTR to look like Washington State DTR in this game, which I guess is the trade-off if your offense is going to be as good as it is. So fortunately for us, it was, I mean, I'm not making any excuses for the defense. I'm just saying that like their two main objectives that they completed, they also needed to be better against DTR and they weren't. Well, okay. First things first, before we move on to the defense, because there's a lot to say about the defense, Graham Harrell talked about the four uh, 100 yard receiver thing. And he pointed out that that just goes to show the the balance of this offense in the sense that anything that they try to shut down that opens up room for somebody else. So they tried to shut down Michael Pittman, and they and USC had success working the inside with Amon Ross St. Brown and Drake, and Drake London. And then once UCLA had to adjust to that, then it opened up opportunities for Michael Pittman and Tyler Vons. So it was really the distribution of that was was really what you would want to see with this offense. You force the defense to basically have to cover too many things, and then as a result, they cover nothing. It's the blanket. It's the blanket. Yeah, yeah the blanket theory is that your you, your defense is a blanket, and you either get to choose you you get to choose what it covers your head or your toes, and you got to make that decision about which which part of you is going to be cold. And UCLA, I think, ultimately tried to do the whole like I'm going to have it on my feet for five minutes and on my head for five minutes and you just end to up To be fair, cold. they have a pretty small blanket. Well, this, this is true. It's a pretty small blanket compared to the, the huge human being that that, that uh, USC brings to the table in Michael Pittman and the like. But let's talk about the defense. I agree. We highlighted this. The idea was to prevent Josh Kelly from hurting USC. The problem is, is that the idea behind Josh Kelly hurting USC was force DTR to throw because that's where the vulnerability lies. Right. It doesn't work to allow DTR to throw 
if you're going to let him run for uh, he gained he, he had a positive he had he was sacked three times, but he had 64 yards rushing. Yeah, net. Uh, he gained 93. Yeah. So he, you allow the quarterback to gain 93 yards and then you allow him to throw for 367 yards and three touchdowns. So did you really like I get that your goal was to stop Josh Kelly, but if USC's offense was less capable in this game and we have seen them be less capable, it would have been a problem. And this is a disaster. Yeah, for sure. 100%. Yeah. So- Especially because because what happened with the defense was they gave up big plays. At a certain point, they forgot how to tackle, and I don't know why. I don't know why you get worse at tackling. I thought it was interesting, though, because I thought that, you know, I talked to you in in the car about this. Uh, sorry, sorry Keely, Keely. That I felt like SC's defense did the thing that the offense usually does, where the drives, and I, I wanted to pull up the drive chart and verify this, that it wasn't just a figment of my imagination. I feel like that when, when UCLA was not doing anything on offense, SC shut them down. Uh, and I'm pulling it up. No, I'm I'm exactly right. So they were either going on eight, nine play drives, or it was three and outs. Yeah. And so on those three and outs, I thought SC tackled well. Uh they especially on that first drive of the game, the one that's extended by the penalty on the the uh, special running to teams the penalty, you mean? Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah. Uh on that drive, they do very well to to contain the edge. And tackle Joshua Kelly in space, don't allow a first down. Later on in that first quarter, there's a couple of plays where UCLA has a man underneath. They throw, short of the sticks, Cody Kessler style. And he's not able to get to the first down marker because they tackle him well. And they would they were playing soundly, uh, stopping UCLA on first down. You typically Josh Kelly Kelly runs on first or second down, forcing third and longs, forcing DTR into difficult positions that were always going to be low percentage. And when they did that, they forced punts. When they didn't do that, UCLA would go on drives like five plays seventy yards, uh, seventy five, eight plays seventy three, ten plays seventy four. So. It was boomer bust for this defense, and luckily for the Trojans on defense, the offense was right there doing their job, being truly Big 12 bad, and that the offense was unstoppable. The defense was meh, but if you're, you can be meh on defense if your offense is going to throw for 515 yards against a really bad uh, secondary. Right, but you're not going to be facing a really bad secondary. Exactly. Right. So this is the problem that I have with the defense, is that... You know, you and I have been kind to the defense in general over the years, but like but this, this would, was a bad performance. I know you want yes. to you want to point out the three and outs and all that kind of stuff. No, I'm, I'm, I will I'm not I will concede that there were that there were three and outs, but the defense was steaming garbage. I, I am not pile of poo. I am, <laughs> I am not giving the defense a pass at all. Uh, if the defense would have held them. To, in the 20s, I would have been like completely who Well, cares? it would have been the typical, but, this yeah. is what this defense... But they didn't. When, they okay, UCLA scored 28 points, and I was ready to say um, that, well, that's going to be it, right? That's going to be the... This defense was always going to give up t- the 28 points, and so then you win 52 to 28, and then you're fine. But it's the way that they gave up the 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 next touchdown and the yeah. way that they just looked and like Devin Asiasi being wide open all the time. Yeah, well, and that was the problem in the second half. The second half, what didn't make any sense to me is how often dudes were wide open, like not even just totally uncovered. 
Um, and that was the problem in the in the the first UCLA's first scoring drive. That after the punt penalty extended it, they got a big chunk of those yards because they left UCLA's primary wide receiver completely uncovered. And I don't know how that happens. Like those kinds of things are a problem for USC and for this defense. And we've cut the defense slack because the offense has had bigger problems. But when the offense comes to play like they did in this game, it kind of ruins my theory that part of the defensive breakdowns in the past has been because they're put so much pressure and pressure and pressure from the offense. Well, the offense was taking all the pressure they could off of the defense, and that defense was still giving up the the, the these plays that you right. just cannot afford to give up. Now, where I will give the defense some slack is on that first drive of the game. They, well, special they teams do. screw them over, and then special teams has a muff punt. So again, right. they get... They get put in but bad positions. The, the, but the muff punt, they end up getting out of it with, with, with an ITS. interception. Yeah. It's, yeah. Get pulled. It gets an int. Yeah. Yeah. It gets an int. But the, so here's the thing about like my big takeaway from the defensive side of the ball. Well, I guess maybe I'll give my big takeaway in general from this game. USC has three coordinators, correct? They have an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator, and a special teams coordinator. And USC changed one of them last year. And they uh, they brought in Graham Harrell and Graham Harrell has been a mixed bag. But this is the game where Graham Harrell points to it and say and says, look at what happens when we roll. We can roll people. And you go, yes, this is right. But you look at the other two coordinators in this game and you like it's not like UCLA. Sure, Chip Kelly is a is a intriguing offensive coordinator, but it's not like UCLA. UCLA has had a unstoppable offense all year. They haven't. What was your favorite uh, USC special teams miscue in this game. Um, I was mean, it running into the kicker? Was it the muff punts? Was it, it mine? Having, was Keenan Kristen dropping a kickoff in the end zone, <laughs> muffing the kickoff in the end zone? It's, 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 this is why you don't fair catch because it's risky. Because you, yeah. I I think my favorite was fourth and one. Oh my god! Fourth and one in the first quarter. Yes. And you know, SC, it's a great drive from SC. Actually, yeah. they, like they're moving the ball great. Well, the third down gets blown up, and that's annoying. But yeah, but they were moving the ball flawlessly yeah. for the most part until they tried to run in short yardage, yeah. and that doesn't end well. For and USC. so they get they get fourth and one, and they go to kick the field goal, and <laughs> they only have ten guys out there. The entire right side of the line is looking back at the sideline like, we don't have enough people. And ben Griffiths, We don't have enough people. Ben Griffiths is the holder there, and he's, like, waving down, screaming, like, hey, we need one more, we need one more. And, like, I turned to Shotgun's rattling on the sideline, and I was like, okay, Shotgun, like, you talk to John Baxter way more than I do. Like, have you ever gotten an answer about who is supposed to be responsible for the personnel that's out there on a special teams play? Because it is outrageous. It, it happens. I get that. But this happens multiple times every game for USC. So where is the quality control person for special teams? Like, somebody's got to have an answer for this, uh, for who whoever's job it is to make sure that the players who need to be out there are out there. They suck at their job. Yeah, I I, I don't know what's happening there. But uh, by the way, I thought that would have been an ample t- opportunity to fake it. I thought I thought they were going to fake it. Yeah, I but thought then they had to great... call the timeout, and then that you can't fake it after the timeout. Yeah, and that that completely screwed that that up. So, anyways, we're gonna take a quick break. Come back and talk about the rest of this game, what it means going forward, and what it meant for the season. The Trojans are eight and four. Uh, that's what they finish up with, and uh, we'll be right back.
All right, we're back here on the car cast. Alicia, you were talking about the coordinators. One very good coordinator in this game, two very poor coordinators in this game. Do you have any more thoughts on the, the coordinator struggles? Well, I mean, is there anyone coming out of this game who isn't convinced that USC is in position to make another Notre Dame sh- Notre Dame mode shift? Because if USC decides USC is now eight and four and we're having the Clay Hilton conversation and the Clay Hilton conversation has been hinted at this whole week that if he beats UCLA, if he's alive in the South, that he might get a stay of execution here. But whether or not USC keeps Clay Hilton, if USC comes back in 2020 with Clancy Pendergast as the defensive coordinator and John Baxter as the special teams coordinator, then somebody messed up. And, like, we can have the Clay Hilton conversation, and I think we all agree that USC should just move on. But, like, I understand why you have reasons to not make that change. But, like, after this game, you cannot tell me that USC has any reason to retain Clancy Pendergast and John Baxter. No reason at all. And it highlights... It the, highlights why they should have done it, it last year. It highlights the absurdity of them... Uh, of them last year saying they were going to do the Notre Dame thing, but then only following through. Notre Dame got rid of all three of their coordinators and replaced them. And USC only did one of the three. And it it just like it goes to show what a misstep that was, that USC didn't make the full change of new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, new special teams coordinator. And they're paying for it this year. They're paying for it this year because the lack of faith that people have in in USC's defense and in USC special teams, um, the the consistent problems that USC has had, the um, just the, the the general missteps that are all very very familiar. I'm sad because like you know I, I like Clancy Pendergast, but I think it's pretty clear that the game has passed him by, or he just he needs a fresh start somewhere else. He needs to rethink his approach to the to 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 being a defensive coordinator because he doesn't get like this year is very very last year you can write it off as you know injuries but this year even though there have been injuries it still just highlights that there are always going to be injuries and yet no matter what USC has no matter how healthy USC is USC is relatively healthy in this game on defense and they still have massive, massive, massive schematic and execution problems. And the buck has to stop at Clay Hilton. But, like, the buck stops before it gets to Clay Hilton. It also stops at Clancy Pendergast. And, you know, we don't even have to have the John Baxter conversation. We just had that little that little mode there where, you know, if John Baxter himself or John Baxter's assistants or John Baxter's players can't figure out who is supposed to be on the field when, then just, you know... There's no question that that he is out of touch with what what makes a good special teams unit these days. But like Clancy Pendergast, it's the same story, too, which I'm sad to say. But a universe where USC has either one of those two people employed next year, I can live. OK, well, I can't really live with Clay Hilton being retained, but Uh-oh, here we go. I can people are unsubscribing by the minute. <laughs> I can imagine the universe where Clay Hilton is retained. I really can. But you can't tell me that USC has any reason to keep Clancy Pendergast or or John Baxter. None whatsoever. And I'm here to say that they shouldn't retain anybody. Well, yes, I agree. Uh, If someone wants to retain Graham Harrell, it should be a new coach deciding that. Yeah. But that's a whole different can of worms for me. Uh, I, I... 
the way I look at it, you know, you mentioned this season, and I wrote this on my intro.com in the the quick recap that we do. I like this 2019 season. World's better than last year. World's yes. better. Unquestionably. Unquestionably better. Yeah. Still not good enough. No. And and w- which I think if this year was last year, it's totally different. It's totally different yeah. because the 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 excuses we've talked about this before. The excuses of going down to a third string quarterback, going down to your fourth string uh, running back that you were ex- expecting to redshirt, and all that those kind of things. having your secondary torn apart by injury one week after another. Yeah, just like in different all ways, of those mixing and matching. All of those excuses I think are valid to a certain point, but you can you can let Graham Harrell off the hook for a lot of that because he's new. You can't let Clay Helton off the hook when you see the same problems that supersede those issues. And so if this was last year, people, I think the, the benefit of the doubt would be a lot more. Certainly not completely because we saw this two years ago in 2017. Even with Sam Darnold here, people were not happy with Clay Helton. Well, people wanted Clay Helton fired after 2017, which, right. which was, which was probably unreasonable given the record. He had had a 10-win and an 11-win season, so you right. can't really go from there. Which but is why I said at the, the time, win- like, any coach in America gets extended yeah. there. Uh, if, the if the, the problem win- isn't the extension, it's the terms. Well, the terms of the extension are disastrous, apparently. But right. the 10-win season followed by an 11-win season followed by an 8-4 and four season is not trending in the right direction, but you're certainly right. not firing that head coach. The problem is that when you go 10 wins... 11 wins, 5 and 7, and then 8 and 4, and the same problems are present in each one of those seasons, then, uh, I mean, your, your record at a certain point, your record is irrelevant because the performances are consistent across all of those seasons. Right. Yeah, 100%. And so we've reached the end of the season. SC is 8 and 4. The SC is now in a situation where... The Pac-12 South is still alive. Uh, Utah plays Arizona tonight as we record this. Uh, they play Colorado next week uh, in which USC is off. So Clay Elton was asked about this in the post-game press conference, and he's like, we got to prepare for Oregon just in case we actually play them. Which is the smart thing to do. Like right. USC should absolutely be preparing for Oregon because it's not like they can prepare for a bowl exactly. right now. You, you can't start preparing for Iowa State or, yeah. or whatever it is, right? So... I mean, even though that'd be just like looking in the mirror, but uh, that's a whole other side tangent. Um, no, when we talk about where SC is at and what happens going forward, it's going to depend on can Utah win these last two games. If Utah wins these last two games, they're going to Santa Clara to play Oregon. And while we're recording this, Oregon is losing to ASU, which I think is the a brutal result for the for the for the Pac-12 that ultimately holds because. I've been so pumped to finally have the Pac-12 hold a quarterfinal because in a game in which the winner goes to the to the playoff, yeah, mm-hmm. especially since in that scenario, if both Utah and Oregon enter the Pac-12 championship game with one loss, the loser goes to a New Year's Six Bowl, which means SC at 7-2 and two in conference is basically guaranteed the Alamo Bowl at that right. point. I want to go to the damn Alamo Bowl. Yeah. So, like, I, that's that's what I want selfishly. Oregon not possibly losing to ASU kind of not, puts not, a... Not holding their end of the bargain there, no. pal. Uh, but, like, the way I look at it, this season as a whole, not up to snuff. None of it's up to snuff. Still better, and I feel bad for players like 
Michael Pittman, surely. Um, he's in a discussion to be an All-American. Uh, we know that he's a Blitnikoff semifinalist now. Keaton Slovis, my God, what a damn season. I don't know. Okay, here's a question for you. I mean, he just locked in freshman All-American. Like, he's first-team freshman so. All-American yeah. unquestionably now. Can you think of a better, unexpectedly dominant season from a player? Maybe Buck Allen? But even then, I think that that was... I mean, neither of them was expected, right? But, like, right. given the circumstances... But Buck Allen wasn't a true freshman quarterback? He like, wasn't a true freshman yeah. three-star quarterback that nobody thought would ever be playing this year. Yeah. Even Keen Slovis himself. Like, it is incredible. And Maybe, maybe like, Cam Smith, middle linebacker, Even then, true though, like, that, that's... I, I it's cannot, not the same. He I wasn't setting records. Like Right. Like what what Keen Slovis is doing has been incredible. And it's not just him deploying an air raid with great receivers. That's part of it. Surely. One hundred percent. He's not breaking those records without the system, and he's yeah. not breaking those records without these receivers. But what makes Keaton Slovis so good is all the things that he does. In addition to that, the way he moves in the pocket, we saw that a lot today. Him moving up in the pocket, throwing downfield to Drake London. Uh, Him being able to, and you know, I asked Clay Helton about this in a conference call earlier in the season. What does, you know, Keaton Slovis do that maybe other quarterbacks, other freshmen have not done? And he, he talked about... He can be both patient and decisive at the same time. We saw that both in this game. Mm-hmm. There was a play where he throws to Drake London and he takes a hit as soon as he throws, but he knows he's got to get it out. And there's another one where he just takes his time, takes his time, and then eventually uh, gets the ball out, which we saw a lot against Cal, right? And so you see these things and and you just look back and you think, damn, what the what a season that Keaton Slovis has. And you want to look forward and, and, and see the... the the goodness that USC is going to have until and the, the potential right for next year. And you want to feel good about a lot of these players at the same point. And like, yeah, they could have been worse than eight and four, but they could have been so much better. Well, they should have been so much better that much. They should not have lost to BYU. No, they should not have lost to Washington. Or certainly, if you're going to lose that game, lose it much closer. Yeah, I, I was I was talking to uh, Trent Goodrich from Minnesota.com the other day, and I said, if the only two losses in the season were Washington and Notre Dame, people feel so much better about this yeah. season, right? Because Washington, you can write off as the third string quarterback game. Yes, and then Notre, Notre Dame, what? That's how you want to play in a loss. Yeah, and if you play like that in a loss against a top ten team at the time on the road, fine. Yeah. Go ahead, do it. You can't get blown out at home by uh, an Oregon team that I that I yeah. think is good, but not great. In, in which you, in which you gave up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but th- I think that you're right to point out the idea of like the future. So there's a lot of discussion right now about USC's recruiting class, and I think it is a very serious problem that USC's recruiting class is as paltry as it currently is. But I think I've said this on a, on another show recently. When you think about what USC is set up with right now, between Keaton Slovis and that wide receiver core, you lose Michael Pittman, but you're maybe you're going to keep Tyler Rons. I think you're going to keep Tyler Rons. You're definitely keeping Alvin Ross St. Brown and Drake London. You're adding Brew McCoy and Kyle Ford and uh, and Munir McLean and Munir McLean JJ and JJ uh, John Jackson. And you're adding the who's the kid from Narbonne? 
Um, Joshua Jackson. Yeah, Joshua. Like you're good at wide receiver for the foreseeable future. Rest in peace, Gouchers. You pro well, yes, rest in there. You go. Uh, you probably need more numbers there, but you're good on talent. At running back, you're bringing back Vimal Pei. You're probably going to bring back Stephen Carr. Um, I, I assume USC is going to bring both of those guys back. You got Keenan Kristen. You got Marquis Step. The like offensively, USC. Who are you losing on the offensive line? You lose Drew Richmond, but I Drew Richmond. Drew Richmond has been replaceable. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you lose Austin Jackson, probably going to the NFL. Yeah, um, not not guaranteed, but you you have to sort of account for that. Sure, but but ABT will be back. Yeah, he, probably he's been very good. Um, Nealon for the most will be part. back. Yeah, maybe you get maybe you get, get Dedich working at guard. I, I don't know. USC's offensive line has a lot more questions, but the point is, you there's a million reasons to feel good about the offense going. Yes. Forward. So so the thing is, like for the immediate future, the immediate future USC next year has plenty there to have a very successful season next year. Can we talk Instant. about the defense? Drake Jackson. You got Drake Tano Jackson. Fonga. You're going to bring all of those corners. Jay Tufele and Marlon Tupelotu are both going to come back and you have to hope that they continue to progress as they as they get older. You lose John Jackson, but Mauga has been great. Yeah. And and uh, Hufanga sets a I mean he, he 18 tackles is the most at USC since Troy Palomalu. Like anytime you're saying since Troy Palomalu, it's a very good thing. Um, what is it about those safeties from the state of Oregon? I, you know what? They just there's something in the water up there. He was there today, by the way, Troy P. Yeah, he was being honored on the sideline because he's a, a Hall of Fame. Um, yep. So the the fact of the matter is, is that as dire a situation as we talk about with this team, they are set up for an instant. Instant turnaround, like not and not. You wouldn't even need a turnaround because you're eight and four. Like right. instant potential ten and two season next year. It's just about you know the the problem is that if you have another eight and four season next year, then you're one step further away from potentially having this recruiting class become a disaster or the next recruiting class become a disaster. And then you have three recruiting classes that are a disaster in a row. And then you really are like, but like USC's roster is actually in very good health at the moment. So the question comes back to what's going on at the top. Not to mention that, you know, yeah, SC's getting a lot of three-star guys who have been the biggest revelations this season. The three-star guys, Keaton Slovis, Keenan Kristen. Drake London. Marquis Stepp was... Was he? I don't even know if Marquis Step was a four star. Drake London. Drake London. Yeah. Yeah. Drake London and Marquis Step were the fringe three star, four star guys. Yeah. So you know. It, it, now, so and, and you know, SC fans love to say that the SC doesn't develop three stars, which there isn't that much of a track record. Again, it, this goes back to something that the the guys at uscfootball.com always say, which is true that like you stars matter because it's probability, right? A five star is gonna be more likely to pan out. Doesn't mean a three star can't. Doesn't mean a five star can't bust, right? But uh, it is encouraging that SC has been able to get a lot of success out of their three stars. Yeah, not all of them, obviously. But the point. But, but the point is, it's like being a three star doesn't instantly uh, sentence you to being mediocre. You know, Keenan Keaton Slovis is having the best freshman season that's ever been had at USC, and. Not just that, like... W- you, you want a really hot take? Is he having one of the best seasons at USC? No, 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 that's not the take I'm going. 
Well, no, but I, like, so, like genu- so he's undoubtedly the best true freshman quarterback in yes. USC. Is undoubtedly, yeah. But is 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 there a world? I don't think there is, by the way, uh, because I don't think he'll have the opportunity. But is there a world in which we can start discussing him versus Darnold's twenty sixteen? Probably not. Yeah, again, he won't have he the doesn't, opportunity. He doesn't have the win. He won't have the he Washington have the win. win. Yeah, and even if he 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 would need and he to won't back get in. the Penn State. He won't get the Penn State. Yeah, win. he would need to back into the to the championship game and then get those two wins and be dominant in those two games. Yeah, but but even that even to the point that you could even potentially think about having that opportunity uh, is insane given the the circumstances, yeah. right? And and so. I think looking forward, this is a you know a, a season that ends, uh, a regular season that that ends, and and we talk about you know college football, forty weeks of agony and twelve weeks of football. The ag it sucks to like start looking forward to the, the agony again, but like there's there's reasons to, to to feel positive about this team going forward. It's just a matter of you want a new regime to be able to really feel good about it yeah. because. Nobody's going to be excited if Clay Helton comes back. Yes. Nobody. Uh, nobody. The opposite of excited. It, it yeah. won't just be like people are apathetic. People will be like straight up angry, you know, yeah. like negative, toxic. 100%. Yeah. 100%. We're going to wrap it right there. Uh, I think we, we, we've talked about as much as we possibly could in this game. SC wins 52-35 over the UCLA Bruins. Uh, Jake, uh, still not, he's not, scared, not in contact he's with him. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Jake, if, if, if you're out there, it's okay, man. Yeah. It's okay. You'll survive. Oh wait, maybe he's, you think he's sanding down the, the paint? <laughs> is he, is he getting the victory bell ready for, uh, we, okay. Let's talk job. about the victory bell. It, it always is remarkable to me that every time SC wins the victory bell, people are like, why isn't the bell there? The, the bell's never there. It trans- it's, The bell is not is is kept by the Trojan Knights and whatever UCLA's equivalent of that is, right? And so it's not like the team holds it. It's not like the cheerleaders are in charge of the dang thing. Uh, so what happens and or what ends up happening is that it gets transferred at the beginning of the week and gets painted and all that kind of stuff. So, which I think kind of sucks because it's not like the Stanford Axe or the Little Brown Jug. And so you don't end up with these pictures where the team is like getting around, carried around the, yeah, the stadium. Like, the field. One of my favorite USC pictures of all time is Carson Palmer in 2002 carrying the shillelagh up the tunnel. Yeah. When he won the Heisman that night, yeah. right? Like, you don't get to see that. So I feel bad for the players who are like, where's the, where's the bell? Where's the bell? Because they don't get the opportunity to ring the dang thing. Right. But. I think I, that I, should be a thing. It should be a thing. Yeah. I think that it should be in the stadium wherever UCLA yeah. should have brought it. Was it was funny, though. They put it up on the big screen of, like, the UCLA guys, like, carrying it out of the, out of the Coliseum yeah. with, like, four minutes left in the game. Yeah. yeah. So. Right. They had a head start on uh, sanding it down. Yeah. There you go. Pay Whatever. I, I wish I, like, does SC paint it or does UCLA paint it? I don't even know. I imagine USC paints it. Like, I imagine the school, because they will supply, supply the right paint color and all but that kind of stuff. I wouldn't is want, it more, if I'm, Is it more insulting to have to paint the other teams? No, if I'm, if I'm USC, I don't want UCLA painting it. Because Fire engine red or something I want like them, that? I want it to be the right color. And done well, you know. Yeah. 
right. That's it wrap up this episode. Thanks for listening as always. We'll be back uh, to break this down further. As always, give us a phone call. 213-373-1USC. Until then, we will see you. See ya. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.